I don't know the Superman music. I'm sure it's playing somewhere. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, I thank you for asking me back, and I just find it a, a real privilege and an honor. And also, you make it so easy to come up here and to speak. You just sense a spirit, and I sense a hunger here. And you know, whenever there's a hunger among God's people and you're called to give a word, it's just such an anointing in it all for all of us, and I, I thank you. Praise God. We're, we're starting a new series. It's called God Has a Name. We've been singing about it this morning. What is the name of God? What we were singing about? Yahweh. Just checking if you were in tune or not, in the zone. <laughs> So I'm going to start by reading Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. A long passage, but this is what we will be unpacking this morning. And it's quite a fascinating story, really. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Kadosh, <laughs> ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the, mis the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, 
the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God has a name. Let's pray just one more time. Dear Father, Almighty God, we call upon you. We look to you. We worship you. We hunger for you. We desire you. We delight in you. We thank you for all you have done for us, and we just want to return that in worship and praise and obedience to you. We ask this morning that by your Holy Spirit that you will bring revelation of who you are, greater revelation, and help us have greater understanding and to follow you closer and, and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Dear Lord, you know, I always end up talking about this. I can't help it. You know, you know, you have a life of no hope. Then you get a life so full of hope you don't know what to do with it. You can't help talking about it, you know. But during my drug hippie days, I lived in a farmhouse in Kansas. Nobody would live in it. And um, it didn't, all I had was a wood stove and a tin bath and no running water. But the point was that up in the attic, I found this old cowboy hat, a Stetson. And I started wearing it around, not that I was a cowboy or anything, but I felt like, man, I'm living like a, a 1920s farmer, you know, like the Waltons. And, and I thought I might as well act like it. So I wore the hat around. And um, the point was, what was the point? <laughs> the point was, I would... I would I started thinking, well, if I'm living this virtual reality, I might as well have a name that matches up to it. So I just thought in my head, and I just made made a name up. I thought I thought this sounds really um, like an old cowboy name, Azariah. So I went around and told all my friends, yeah, I just want to be called Azariah for now on. And they started doing it. Some even called me Az for short. I think that's what they were saying. But. <laughs> But, but, but that, that's the way it was, Azariah, you, you know. And, and during my drug days, I, I remember once I was standing out in the field, and um, a wheat field because that's what they grow in Kansas, and I remember looking up in the sky, and I was just praying, and I just said, God, I have no idea who you are. I don't know if you exist. I don't know anything about you. I don't know what religion you hide in. But if you are there and you are real, could you please show yourself to me? Could you please reveal something? Could I get some help down here? That, that was my prayer. I became a Christian. God did so much for me in 1975. But just a few years ago, I thought of that name Azariah. And I wondered, wondered I wonder if that is in the Bible. Because it sure sounds biblical, doesn't it? And, and it's the name of a king. I think there's two kings that were named Azariah. And you know what the name means? Helped by God. I'm standing there in that field with the name Azariah asking God to help me. And then I find out later this name means help by God. And it's like God knew before I even knew him what, what was going on. And, and he had his hands on me. And I'm just saying he has his hands on all of you long before you ever said yes to Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes it's good to look back and see all the fingerprints of God that led you up to this point. So, I don't know if we attach a whole lot of attention to the meaning of names here in Northern Ireland. I don't think we do in America. We just have a name and, and that's it, you know, unless someone's name is Egypt, then you kind of have a meaning. Are there any Egypts here? <laughs> no, praise the Lord. <laughs> well, amen. But on the other hand, the Jews in ancient Israel were very conscious of names. And they were very conscious of what names mean. They believed there was a vital connection between a person's name and the person it identified. The name somehow represented the nature of the person, the character of the person. The destiny of that person was in the name. That's the way they thought. And we find God oftentimes in the Old Testament changing people's names. There's Abram, but then he changes his name to Abraham, the exalted father. Or, and then he becomes the father of a multitude. You know, Jesus does the same with Peter. You, you know, his name was, um, whatever his name was, Simon. Then he changes his name to Peter, the rock. But the reason was because their destiny, the meaning of their lives, everything changed. And, and God was giving them a name to match that. The names really meant something. In, in Revelation 2.17, it says to all the overcomers, it says, I am going to give all of you guys a new name that will match your new character, your destiny, and who you are. That's what the name represents. And it's good to keep this in mind when we talk about God has a name. In chapter 3, we find a quiet pastoral scene. There is Moses, a man who had been a shepherd now for 40 long years. And he was leading the flock of sheep over the fields that he knew very well. But in verse time, in verse 2, we find the shepherd's serene pastoral life takes a turn. He notices something very strange, something very peculiar, something he had never seen before, a bush on fire. Now, just to say that in the desert, the, a, fire, a bush on fire was not a strange sight. It was so dry out there and hot that bushes would go up in flame, but they would be gone. But, but what surprised him was, was that this bush was not burning up. It, it was the glory of the Lord is what was on it, but he didn't know that. But he walks over to see this bush. Why isn't it burning up? And without fear and motivated by curiosity, you could almost picture Moses stepping closer to this, this burning bush, wondering, wondering what this is about. And as he draws closer, the stranger thing happens. He hears his name. Someone calls his name from somewhere. I don't know if he knew it was from the bush or where it was, but it was Moses, Moses. You know, I don't know what you would feel like if, if that happened to you. It would almost be like if it was a Hollywood movie. That's where you'd start hearing the music, you know. Ooh, ooh what are we going to have here, you know, this, this voice calling my name. That's weird. <laughs> Amen. Now, we know that this was the voice of God. But at this moment in the story, Moses hasn't a clue who is speaking to him. To him, this is just a strange voice coming from an even stranger bush. And from what we read, Moses doesn't even appear to be afraid or upset or anything by it. 
He's just curious. So he's there. Then in verse 5, after Moses acknowledges the strange voice, he says, here am I. He didn't know it was God speaking. The voice instructs Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is Kadosh ground. Well, still, this is no problem to Moses. He simply removes the shoes. Moses is still being motivated by curiosity. But then when we come to verse 6, we see kind of a change of attitude in Moses. Because here, for the first time, the voice identifies the speaker. He identifies who is speaking. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The point is, this voice wasn't heard among the Hebrews for over 400 years. They hadn't heard this voice. For that 400 years, they were in Egypt. And now Moses is standing face to face before the God of his ancestors. And somehow, he has only heard about this God, but has never been in contact with this God until this very moment. And how does Moses respond? It's kind of a two-way thing going on here. It says he hides his face and becomes fearful. He was afraid to look at God. Now, you could see that from the Bible, but why does Moses react this way? What is it that Moses was really afraid of? What is it that prompted the fear? He wasn't afraid of the fire. He wasn't afraid of the glory of God on the bush. He wasn't afraid of even the voice. But when he heard this was the God of his ancestors, that's when Moses became fearful and he turned his face from him. You ever have anyone turn their face from you? Be like, I'm talking to you, then all of a sudden I just go, <laughs> you know, what's that mean to you, you know? And um, we think Moses hid his face out of respect or a healthy fear of the Lord which is true, but in the Jewish culture, turning your face was never a sign of respect. Never. To the Jew reading this passage, there is a hint of something more going on here, something more than just a healthy fear of the Lord. And it all has to do with that, with that phrase, Moses hid his face from him. This specific statement carries a lot of negative baggage with it because in the Jewish culture, to hide one's face from someone means more than just turning your head away. For example, just some, some verses. Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 27, 9. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. And it was like that. Don't hide your face. Do not reject and forsake me. It's tied in with shunning. It's, that phrase is tied in with forsaking. It's, it's a rejection. Micah 3, 4. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will, an not, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. As we can see here in these few examples, if someone hides their face from you, means you have lost favor with that person. 
they aren't really that happy to see you or to meet you. It signifies a person no longer wishes to hear you or be near you, no longer desires contact with you. To hide your face from someone in the Bible and in Jewish culture is is a sign of rejection. Now, the fact that the writer of Exodus is using this particular phrase, because he could have used another phrase, but, but to use that particular phrase to describe the reaction of Moses to God is at the very least suggestive that Moses is not comfortable to see the God and meet with the God of their ancestors who hadn't spoken to them in 400 years. Moses is afraid of him. This understanding helps us to understand more of what's going on in this passage. Everything was okay with Moses until he discovered he was talking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You with me so far? Okay. But we see in verses 7 and 12, God tries to win Moses' confidence and favor, tells him his plans for him and his plans for the people to rescue them out of Egypt and bring him into, into a, a, you know, a land of milk and honey. That's something he promised to them four or 500 years before. God speaks of deliverance, speaks of land, abiding presence. But all these promises from God only prompt a very strange question from the mouth of Moses. Because God had promised Moses many things, or the Jewish people, 400 years before. But they have not yet come to pass. It's almost the opposite is going on than what God has promised four or 500 years ago. Moses was, uh, it almost seemed like he was starting to warm to the God of his ancestors. He was talking to him, but the, he said the Hebrew slaves back in Egypt, Lord, are going to be a bit harder to convince. So he asked God in verse 13, what should I tell the people your name is? This is starting to come together a bit. What is your name? Now, why would Moses praise God. Why would Moses ask God for his name? Because God had already revealed himself to him. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you would think, wouldn't that be enough for any of us? If we were there in front of that bush and heard the voice and heard who that was, I don't think we'd have any doubt who that was. I mean, what more identification did Moses need? Did he need a a birth certificate? He wouldn't get one. God doesn't have a birth certificate. I'm glad he didn't ask. But you see, Moses here isn't just asking for a title. He's asking for something more. Remember, a name in the Hebrew culture points to a person's character and a destiny. So what Moses is really after is a character reference. Can you, God of our ancestors, will you really deliver? Can you deliver what you are promising here? What destiny will we have if we throw in our lot with you? And that's what he was asking for, what he was digging for when he says, what is your name? Because this is what they're going to ask me. And they're going to need a little more than, than I am just the God, the God of your ancestors. It's kind of the a question many people ask today. You know, what will happen to me if I become a Christian? 
What, what, what will become of me if I do follow God? What will become for me to, of me if I become a Bible basher? <laughs> we aren't going to become Bible bashers. I once had a drug addict that I was working with back in, in Glasgow and uh, with Teen Challenge. And, and he, he just said, no, I don't want to I don't, I don't um, become a Christian because I don't want to be a Bible basher. But I'll remain a heroin addict. I, I just thought that was kind of strange. I'd, I think I'd rather be a Bible basher. But why? <laughs> Sorry, that's just nowhere. But, but, but why would Moses feel he had to ask God for a character reference? Well, let's look at God's record. Over 500 years before Moses was born, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came to Abraham making very great and specific promises. He promises Moses that the Israelites, things that the Israelites were very familiar with. God said he would give them a fruitful land. So here we can ask, 500 years later, were the Jews, the Israelites, living in a fruitful land? No. They were living in Egypt for 400 years. They were stuck there. They were not in the land that God promised them. For 400 years, that promise never came to pass. God had promised to make the Israelites great, had a great name out of them. But were they great? No. They were tormented, and they were slaves to, to, these, to the Egyptians. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had promised that he would curse their enemies, were their enemies cursed? No. Their enemies were persecuting them. As a matter of fact, it was their enemies who were prospering and not the Israelites. Something's not weighing up here. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob promised the Israelites would be a blessing to the world. And unfortunately, this also failed to come to pass. God had prop promised them many things, but they never came to pass. For four to 500 years, all of God's promises kind of fell to the ground. As a matter of fact, it was just the opposite. Slaves in a foreign land, beat down and persecuted. And not to be disrespectful here, but if we were to add up God's track record at this point, I think we would all have to say, he had failed on every account. If this was posted on Amazon, God would have probably got a one-star rating on the deity scale. Fulfilled promises, many promises, but where are they? So in verse 13, when Moses asked God for a character reference, what is your name? He was asking, what kind of destiny can we actually count on from you, O God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What can we expect from you if we throw our lot in you, with you? And that's when God tells him very graciously in verse 14, I am who I am. It's kind of a God thing to say, isn't it? I am who I am. Because there's nothing to compare him to. So I am who I am. I am the other. I am the one that's outside of everything. And the thing is, in the Hebrew, that name, I am who I am, is also has been and can be interpreted from the Hebrew language to mean future. I will be who I will be. 
And that is the key thing. That's where we get the name Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. But it sounds rather cryptic. Amen. I'm doing well. On time. (laughs) So what was God telling him through this name? Because it's so important. He says, Moses, if you follow me now, if you throw your lot in with me now, you will see the plans that I have for you. I'm not going to spell it out to you right now because I have given you words before and they haven't convinced you. So now I'm going to say, throw your lot in with me and you will see the plans I have for you. You will experience what I will do for you. I am who I am and I will be who I will be for you. Then you will know what I am like. And he's saying, don't give up on me. And from here, God lets the Hebrews fill in the details. And you find throughout all the, throughout the Bible, they start filling in the details and they write Yahweh, I will be who I will be. And then they will put something of his character. And each time they did that, it was because of a personal experience. So they said, Yahweh, my banner. Yahweh, my sanctifier in Exodus. Yahweh, my peace in Judges. Yahweh, my shepherd in Psalm 23. Yahweh, Lord of hosts. Yahweh, my righteousness. Yahweh, who is here. Yahweh, my provider. Am I doing okay for time? Have I got it right? Yeah, okay. But you know what I find interesting in all that, all this is that the same Hebrews, these same Hebrews felt the hammer of God. They felt and seen his judgments. And they, and they know he rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. They know he once flooded the world. They knew all these things. And, people, and so many people today react when they read the Bible and wonder about these things. You know Richard Dawkins, you ever heard of him? You know, he's an atheist, kind of a militant atheist, and he wrote a book called The God Delusion. And here's what he says of God. If he he was to say Yahweh, and this is what he said. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, whatever, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Well... Richard, could you quit beating around the bush and just (laughs) tell us what it is? But isn't it strange that these are the things that that today in our society people will, will point out when they read the Bible and they think this is the way God is. But I find it strange that the Jewish people who went through all of these things and 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 knew it personally. Whenever they spoke of Yahweh, it was always the good things. Yahweh, my banner. Yahweh, my peace. Yahweh, my provider. You know, they knew something, that that is the real character of God. But it's how they, what they experienced when God said, you follow me. 
I will be who I will be. They started to see, now I see what you will be. And he did deliver them, we know, out of, out of Egypt. God has a name. And that name hasn't changed, except now we have also the name of Jesus. But back in the Old Testament, God has a name, Yahweh. You know, when I first started going to the Journey Church and the first time I met John Ash, many of you know the, the head pastor, he asked me because he knew I, I was a retired um, pastor from another denomination. And, and we had a talk, you know, and, and he was just wondering what I am going to be for Journey, you know, because a pastor would think that way, you know. What are you going to bring in? You know, is it going to be good or bad? What are you going to do? You're going to split us? What are you, you know. And, and I, I told him, John, you know something? There's nothing I can say here that's going to mean anything to you. And I, I said, all, all I would say is just watch me and you'll see. And, and you'll see what I, what I will bring to journey. Seven years later, I'm still standing here. I haven't been excommunicated, but 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 a lot of a lot of times that that's what people need. I need to see the fruit, not just the words. I will be who I will be. You want to know what I'm like? Then just watch me. Let's walk together, and you will see what I am like. And that's what God was saying in this name. Lord, bless your name. It's almost like God. Lord, what do you mean to me? He says, jump in the pool and you'll find out. He doesn't always spell it out beforehand. He like, Kind of like Peter walking on the water, you know. Can I walk on the water? Well, we'll see. Come on out. You will see. You know, it's like step out of the boat and you'll see if I keep you afloat or not. Trust me. Get yourself saved and you will see how good I am to you. You really don't know until you do it. Yeah, I mean, the Bible even says that. Je Jesus says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You, you can't even see it until you, you come into the, commit yourself to God. You know, when I first became a Christian, I had no idea where God was going to take me or what he was going to do. And when I committed myself to Jesus, I found things happening that I hadn't expected at all and I didn't even know was going to be part of the package. I will be who I will be to you, you know. And it's, and you know, when I became a Christian, the first thing God did was take my drug addiction from me. And I have been free ever since. And it amazed me when it happens and it still amazes me today. But the thing was, put your lot in with me, Jesus. Richard, and you will see who I will be to you. And this is what he's saying to all of us. And even if you feel maybe a little disgruntled with God, because people get that way sometimes, you know. Oh, oh, oh my, my spouse died, you know. God, why did you do that? And God is still saying, hey, man, don't give up on me. Throw, keep your lot with me, and I will be who I will be. I will show you who I will be for you. Yahweh so loved the world, he gave his only son. We know who he is for us. You know, Jesus' name means the Lord is salvation. 
The name means something. He says, I give you this name. I give you the name of Yahweh you can call upon, which separates him from every other God. He also says, I give you the name of Jesus. And you cast out devils and everything in the name of Jesus Christ. I find getting baptized, you know, you're getting baptized into a name. (laughs) Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, Yahweh, this is who you are committing yourself to. This is where you are going now. It's kind of like Moses at the burning bush. Who will you be to me? And Yahweh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, I would say to you are holding out their their arms and, and they are smiling. I tell you, they're into this more than you are. <laughs> and you didn't get here by accident. God brought you to this far, to this moment in time, and he's going to meet with you. They're saying, <laughs> I like this. God is saying, come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> I will be who I will be for you. I have a name of Yahweh. My name is also salvation, and this is who I will be for you. And I, I think in the adventure that you're beginning on, you're going to be so surprised by so many things, and you'll be saying, yeah, God, my Savior. Yeah, God, my provider. Yeah, God, my protector. Amen. <laughs> God, my joy. <laughs> Lord, let's pray. Dear Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh, Yeshua, Hamashiach, we bless you, we praise you, and we honor you, and we thank you for this moment in time. Continue to work in our hearts, draw us closer to you, and we're just rejoicing in what is happening now. It's your family It's your people, Lord. Bring the blessing in Jesus' name and the joy. Amen. Amen.